Welcome to the See the Upside podcast. I'm Nina, your podcast host. On the show, we dive deep into all the ways to uplevel your life with a focus on positivity and growth. Interviews with industry experts and innovators in the areas of wellness, spirituality, relationships, personal growth, and more shed light on all of the best practices. We talk about how to overcome obstacles, find positivity, and create and live an authentic life you love. Every challenge is an opportunity for expansion. That's what I like to call seeing the upside. Whatever challenges you've been through, be it divorce or otherwise, you deserve to discover and live your very best life. We're here to help you find it. Thanks so much for joining the conversation, and I really hope you enjoy the show. You can follow us on Instagram at c.theupside, on Facebook at c.theupside, and visit our website at c.theupside.com. Hi, everyone. Our guest today is Laura Friedman Williams, author of the recently released book called Available. This book is Laura's divorce story, honest, open, and often hilarious. She shares her experience, including how her marriage ended, how she managed her three children with grace, the processing of her many emotions, the complex discoveries about herself and her marriage, which resulted in a real awakening. I love this book because it touched on so many complex aspects of divorce. We have a lot to cover today, and I can't wait to dive in. Welcome, Laura. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you, Nina. I'm so excited to be here with you today. So good. Well, you and I, when we first met, I just knew instantly that I liked you. Of course, I felt like I knew you. <laughs> yes, after, true. <laughs> yes. So I listened to the audio version of your book, which I'm going to highly recommend for everybody because it's you who actually narrates it. And there's so much authenticity and feeling that comes through, you know, from your genuine experience. So I loved that so much. And I I'm glad. Yeah, it was, it turned out really, really nicely. How was that? Recording Thank you. That? Was that challenging? Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think I was like, I was so excited that um, they wanted me to record it and I thought there'd be some lessons or tips, but they were like, nope, just read the book. There was a point at which I was talking about the end of my marriage and it was a very painful chapter. It came, comes about a third of the way in. And when I finished one chapter, I was so emotional and the producer on the headset said, do you need a break? And I said, I do. And I went into the bathroom and like had a good cry for 10 minutes and then, you know, threw some water on my face and went back and finished. There were a lot, a lot of also very funny sexual moments and very open, frank things like words that I don't often say, you know, th that are, you know, th like out of my comfort zone. And so I'm saying them out loud with two men on a headset with me. So sometimes it was a very funny experience too. So I'd say it covered the, the gamut from the painful to the uh, like cringy, hilarious. I just had to keep pushing through. Oh my gosh. So good. <laughs> I thought about that while I was listening to the book. Like, how is she even narrating this? Because some of the topics in the book really go into your sexual experiences post-divorce and we'll deep dive into yeah. that, but let's, let's hear from you kind of your overview of how you would describe the book and what it's all about. Well, the book really came from originally my, my intention to share what it was like to be a woman on the dating scene in her mid forties, you know, somebody who had been in a relationship since she was 20 and now is 47 and on the dating scene, you know, never expected to be single again. And here I am. And a lot of the stories were quite humorous, just, you know, things that happened to me that I couldn't believe were happening to me, you know, just weird comments from men, strange things on, on um, internet dating, you know, broken ribs, dogs in beds, all, all kinds of things. And I thought it was funny and my friends thought it was funny. And so I was like, I'm just going to write this. What a fun, what a fun little project this could be. But really it, I think it ended up being much deeper than that because I think it's not, I, I, I'm, I'm very careful. I want to be open with women. I want to be honest, well, with women and, and with people in general about the experience of divorce and sure, 
you can wake up one day and decide that you're going to go and live your best life. And it's going to be like, look at me go. I'm single. I'm here for it. You know, I got my heels and my thong and I'm fully ready for this life. But that's that's only part of the story. And, and I don't ever want to represent my story in like the Instagram version. You know, the, the other part of it is that there is deep, deep pain in losing a marriage and suffering and loss. And so it, the book became both of those things for me. It was, sure, the sexual freedom and the, the fun and games, but it was also like, how do I parent three children through this and maintain my sanity? How do I take care of myself and also take care of children? So the book became more authentic, I think, because it, and deeper because I wanted all the aspects. I really wanted it to be honest. Like this is really what it looks like, not just the fun and games, but the real version of, of my life in, in an unfolding of a divorce. I think you did such a beautiful job of blending the humor with the raw pain and emotion, but also like you're saying the freedom and the excitement and the exploration, but it all happens at the same time. And then you add in the, the stress and the responsibility of supporting and managing our kids through all of that. I mean, there's just so much complexity to divorce that I think unless you have gone down that road and experienced it, you could never quite understand it. I mean, before I got Mm -hmm. divorced, I thought of it as the ending of a marriage. I really, really did not get how multidimensional it is, but I, I think you did a beautiful job of honestly laying out there all the things. I mean, you, you inject humor in the best of ways, I mean, especially in your dating, you know, and it's, it is really a bizarre experience to be, you know, married. I was married for almost 20 years to be married and to come out though. It's like coming into a, coming out of a time capsule, like the entire (laughs) universe is like functioning in a totally different way. And Mm -hmm. one of my favorite parts in the book is when you venture into online dating and you're trying to figure out the rules. You're like, (laughs) well, wait a minute. Like does all, because I'm on here when I, when I respond this way, when I say, hi, does that mean I want to have sex with you? Like, is that what the new rule is? Is that what I'm saying when I do that? Like, is that the expectation? The default is because I'm here, you know, are we always going to have sex on the first date or is are we not supposed to have sex on the first date? Like, give me right. a freaking rule book. And right. I, I need there a rule is book. No rule book. <laughs> there is no rule book. The rule book is most men, if you're on Tinder, most people think you're there for sex. I mean, that that to me was like my general rule book. But thank you for saying, you know, all those kind words about my book. And I I think that I, like you, thought of divorce as like something that people do all the time. And they, you know, it, yeah. they do it and they get over it and like they move on, they get remarried or they don't. And the they share custody and kids have homes, multiple homes. And that's just how it goes. I, when I was growing up in the seventies and eighties, I had a ton of friends whose parents were divorced and my own parents, my father died when I was young and my mom remarried a man who had been divorced. So it was very much a part of my vernacular. It was, there was nothing like it's everybody was divorced. Uh, It really took my breath away when it happened to me. I had no idea. Divorce is traumatic. It, it is yeah. a death. And I, I think I've discussed this with women who have lost their husbands to death. Um, we've debated it. And I said, you know, we're not having a contest to see whose is more painful. So I don't want to minimize anyone's pain. I want to hold everybody's pain as being their own and very unique to them. But for me, losing my marriage, losing my role as a wife, my identity, losing the the understanding of the life that I thought I was living as being different than the life I was living that yeah. was it was traumatic and it was it, it required a grieving 
that yeah. I really, fo I followed like the grieving of a, of a, of death. You know, I looked at like the, you know, the yeah. seven ages of death and I, I really, I, that's how I attributed it. And in, until I got there, I never thought of divorce that way. I just thought it was like a life event, like, I, I don't know, moving, you know, yes. <laughs> like some, right. getting a new job. Like I, I had no, I had no idea. You are so invested in your role. And, you know, I don't know what it's like to be in a short-term marriage. So I don't know if it might be different if you've only been married for, you know, a few years. I, I've been married. I mean, my divorce is not yet final. So I'm, I've been married mm -hmm. for 25 years. And I grew up with this person, you know, we, we were together for years yeah. before then. So I'm 20 years old. I'm 51 now. That's yeah. how my whole adult life has been defined by being this partner to this man. By the way, you what. don't look 51. You look stunning. Oh, I mean, I God wish everybody you. could see you. You're beautiful. <laughs> you're vibrant. You're just. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Really thank you. are. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I am 51 and I own it. And I like being 51 because I, I feel like I know myself really well. And yesterday yeah. I got my hair colored because it's the one thing that I still just feel I, I have to do. And um, the hairdresser was trying, she's been trying to coach me to go all gray because um, I am. I'm all gray. And I said, I'm just not ready for it yet. It's like the one thing I just, I'm not there yet. Like I'm, I'm not going to get Botox. I'm not going to get fillers. Like I, I like my face the way it is, but I have to have hair that's not white. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. That may be why I look so young today because I have a fresh dye job. <laughs> well, and I think we, that's, what's kind of refreshing about being in our late forties, early fifties is the things that we do, whether it's coloring our hair, or Botox or whatever, we we're doing it because we want to do it. You yep, know, yep. that you, you get to that point where you own who you are and what you yep. like and what's important to you. I did want to circling back to grief real quick. I do think it's interesting. You know, I agree with you hundred percent that marriage is grieving and we do cycle through those different stages of grief, of anger, denial, sadness, bargaining, all those things. But what I found so fascinating is they aren't like going in a logical circle. You bounce mm -hmm. back between at odd times, I'll mm -hmm. deep dive into anger and resentment. And then other mm -hmm. times I'll deep dive into incredible sadness and that that marriage loss is so so deep and widespread in the sense that you know it's your identity and all those things you were talking about but i feel like there's it's a subtle anchor it's like you're a part of a whole and then all of a sudden you're i describe it as being untethered like you're just mm -hmm. untethered in a really unnatural feeling way. And yeah, of course there's freedom and relief that comes from the release of a marriage that wasn't healthy, but I think it's also incredibly hard to have to rebuild and recreate and rediscover at this stage. I mean, it's just, it's just really, really hard. Yeah. I agree with everything you're saying. It's a lot. And there's a lot of emotions and they're often happening at the same time. So you have these dueling emotions of like the thrill of discovery, the thrill of freedom, the yes. sadness of loss, the, the yeah. discomfort of not knowing what's next, the, you know, having to let go of the past. I mean, all these things are happening at the same time. And I, for me, because I thought I was happily married, you know, I, and I, yeah. I think that for me, a lot of the confusion in those early stages was that I had to come to terms with the fact that the way I perceived my marriage was not the way that my partner perceived my marriage. And I thought we were one, like you use the word untethered. I have used that word a lot. And I, and that is how I feel. I, I think of us as like conjoined, you know, that for yeah. all these years, we, we grew up together. We, we had three children. We buried his parents. We moved eight times. You know, we saw, we graduated from college together that we were so conjoined that it felt like, okay, he's been surgically removed from me and I'm not whole anymore. I'm not the person I was. I cannot be the person I was because I'm not attached to him anymore. And in some ways that's thrilling. And in other ways it's devastating. And 
So I'm three and a half years out. And I think it's the same. I feel the same way. I feel more thrilled than devastated now. I think the balance is shifting. You know, I don't, I don't want to go back and, um, I don't pine for him. It's not that, but do I pine sometimes for the certainty of the future I lost? Yeah. Do I pine sometimes for the certainty of what I thought was my past? Sure. You know, I definitely have moments of thinking, wait, I, there was so much comfort in knowing my life and, and in understanding my values and in thinking they were shared. So how do you recover knowing that the reality was very different from what you perceived it to be. That still is really hard for me to wrap my head around. That's pretty jarring. You know, I think in in everybody's case is different. Like some marriages end because people say, you know what, this is not working. We went to couples therapy and it's not working. And we agree that we're going to split. In my case, because there was infidelity involved, Mm -hmm. it was really sudden and dramatic. It was like, your life is not at all. Like there's a whole life happening underneath your eyes that you don't know anything about. And that was like another thing for me. How could I have, how did I not see my own life? How did I not, I wasn't really looking at it. That's why. Well, and I think my impression from the book is that you, and I kind of feel like this in my marriage, like you can do all the right things. You can be a really great mom, a really beautiful, supportive partner and show up in all the ways that you thought you were supposed to, that you loved and enjoyed and embodied fully and still have it not work out. Yep. And yeah, it's that I think is, is really, really hard to know that you gave it everything. You gave it your best. And as you say, like you look back and your partner wasn't on the same page with you. There was something going on there. And then you do really do start to question yourself. Like how, how did I not see? And I think the further you get out from divorce, the more clarity you are able to get with what the reality was and where the, the maybe not so healthy areas were. Cause when you're in it, I don't think, you know, any different, you know, it's like when I was in my marriage, I thought that our balance of power is probably the wrong word, but our, our balance of connection with each other and empowerment within our, how we made decisions and those kind of things, you know, I conceded a lot of things that looking back, I should have insisted and stepped in stronger, but I didn't know any better. Like, I don't, I don't think I could have done different with who I was and what I was trying to be in that moment, you know? And I think as women, we have really complicated roles. I mean, we're expected to, to do a lot in the home, but we concede a lot by, um, by being homemakers, you know, by, there's, there's an inherent imbalance of power that can happen. And I think it's a very, very rare couple that can maintain equal respect and balance in a relationship when the wife stays at home and takes care of all the homemaking and child care and all of that. And the husband is working and developing their career. You have to have a woman that is super confident and empowered in that role and, and commands respect. And then you have to have a husband that values all of that homemaking and, and childcare equally with their contribution on the financial work side. And I think that's very, very tricky. I I don't know. I didn't do it well. I didn't do it well at all. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you and I have discussed this and I think we have very similar backgrounds in that, you know, we had three children, we stayed Mm -hmm. home with them. Our husbands kind of ran the, you know, financial side of the household. And in my case, I think, you know, I, I very much embodied probably like an old fashioned housewife, you know, from a different era because I, I took on my role so fully. I mean, well, you know, my husband and I graduated from college together. He then went to graduate school. I lived with him when he went to graduate school and I was getting, and I had a job in book publishing 
And I continued to work after our daughter was born. Our first daughter was born when I was 29. I continued to work. I actually used to bring her to work with me and have like a babysitter come there because I couldn't bear to leave her at home. And after my second child was born, I thought, this is undoable. Like my my kids are screaming when I leave them at daycare. I can't get enough work done. I'm, I'm not good at anything. I'm yeah, not good at being home. Of, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, not being I'm failing able to every... do anything well. Yeah. It's so frustrating. You're like, okay, yeah. I used to be good at work. Now I'm not really good at work because I'm too worried about my kids. I love my kids. And meanwhile, they're like throwing themselves against the door when I leave. So why did I even have them? Yeah. Uh, and right. like, and, and the thing is my husband's not going to bend on this. He's not going to say, okay, let me figure this out to make it doable for you. He's, he's just not, he wants, he wanted his business and he wanted his business to grow. And that was not, he had no interest in being home more. It, it was not an option and it never was, a, it wasn't even a conversation. So when I decided to stay home, he was quite happy that I decided to do that because he said, you know, nobody is going to ever take better care of our children than you are. And because I'm a doer, I, I did, yeah, you know, threw myself into stay home motherhood. I was like the class mom. I was the PTA president. I was on every fundraiser. I was always at the school. I was volunteering constantly and, you know, having kids over and making big yeah. dinners and birthday parties. And I loved it. And so I don't want to regret it. You know, it's, it's tricky because I'm so grateful I had those years and I still have a child who's 10. So I'm, I'm not out of these years yet. Two of my kids are in college, but I have a 10 year old. I loved those years. I loved the friendships I made with really strong women who were like me, very educated and, and very devoted to being mothers, but I lost so much of myself and I, I don't, I wish that I had had a balance and I think the balance is so important for women who are going, who are younger and might be listening to this. You know, I hope they remember to find more of a balance. I didn't. I just gave myself over to motherhood and being a wife and a homemaker, hundred percent. And I preserved yeah. very little of myself outside of that. And so when I found myself suddenly without the wife role, you know, it was like, okay, well, now what do I do? Now who am I? And it was, I truly had to reinvent myself, but I think that it's an amazing thing to be able to do. And I see my friends in midlife, some of them who are able to do this even in their marriages because their kids are leaving home and they're trying to say, now what? You know, so I've been a homemaker all these years and now I'm 50 years old and now what? And And some of them are really taking the bull by the horns and figuring out what's next, you know, even though they don't have to, they're doing it. Yeah. That part's tricky. It's so tricky. That balance is so tricky. Well, and we talked about this too, that I think for our daughters, I, I'm not, I'm still navigating how quite to instill this in them, but I really want them to always maintain something that is theirs in their life, whether, I mean, it doesn't even have to be hugely money generating, although I think that's helpful for confidence and empowerment to have some source of your own money and revenue in your life that you can always come back to because you just don't know when your life is going to change. I mean, in some unexpected way, and you should have some skill or something that you can apply to something. But I think also, just having your own passions and interests outside of being a, a married and a mom. I agree. Yeah. I think that's really, really important. Let's segue this to talk a little bit about, because I think it's fun to, to talk a little bit about how you sort of work through the process of discovering through who you are and how like kind of the dating and sexual side came into that. Cause that is a huge part about your book. It's an aspect of it that I think is intriguing, especially for someone who's been married for over 20 years. And, you know, it is really weird to have sex with a new person and to, go out with people at this stage in life and interact. I mean, when you're dating in your forties and fifties, everybody's got a 
crap load of baggage they're bringing to the table. And it's like, how are we going to do this? You know? (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of amazing when you put it like that. It's amazing that anybody ever has like a decent date. I mean, it feels like we're all, we all come with such, you know, like our own sadness or remorse or anger issues or parenting Mm -hmm. issues. And, you know, you, you really like, I think in the beginning, especially when you're newly in a relationship, you kind of just want to have a good time. And it's like, but you want to connect with somebody and to feel a connection, yeah. but you also don't want to get like heavy quickly. So, I, but there I, are so many complications. Like one of yeah. your, one of the guys that you went out with, you got to a stage where you invited him to mm-hmm. meet your kids and, or mm-hmm. to come to like a, a sports game dinner, or something. Like over, yeah. for dinner. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I don't want to do that. And yeah. that was, that's an interesting dynamic to think about. Like, how do you blend families? And there are going to be people who don't really want to go through that child experience or meet your kids. And that actually kind of hurts my heart a little bit when I think about dating again, that nobody I date from this stage out will love my kids the way I love my kids. Mm. You know, it's, it's kind yeah. of like a, just a reality of what it is. But they'll, you know what though, that's, I have so much to say. Let me think of how to start. (laughs) I know. So the man who did not want, that was in the book, he was number six and he did not want to meet, he just didn't think it sounded like fun to be home on a Friday night with, you know, a couple of little girls. And as he said, like making slime. And I said, who said anything about making slime? I just said, come hang out with us. But okay, I guess that's not what you want. So one of the things I realized was, you know, you're con- you constantly have to change your expectations. My yeah. trajectory in life had always been like you date, you get serious, it leads to the next thing. And I had, there's no roadmap for how you're going to blend families if you even want to blend families once you're dating other people. And I had been very cautious about bringing anybody home to meet my kids because I just wanted to keep those worlds very separate. So one thing was that I had to say, okay, uh, this is not what I was expecting. I was expecting that we would naturally morph into this next stage, which is we start spending time together. You, If I have the kids and you want to see me, you come over here for dinner. And so he made it really clear he wasn't ready for that. He also, I, I sort of said like, this might be it. Like, I don't like the way you spoke to me and I feel really hurt. And he said, yeah, you know, it's really not about you. It's really about my own relationship with my own kids and where we are right now. And so he was very open with me and I understood, oh yeah, Laura, it's not all about you. He's also a man with a lot of baggage and, and he reacted badly. He said the wrong thing to me. He should have said, thank you. I'm not ready for that. And I would have understood that he shouldn't have acted horrified by the suggestion. So what's interesting is like, we're still together. It's been almost three years um, since we started dating and, and still we're pretty separate. You know, he's really only met, like spent a handful of times with my children. And I, because I just like, I don't know, I just don't, I like my time with him and I like my time with my kids. I'm not trying to create a new family to tell you the truth. And, and I think a lot of people are because they want to get remarried. I'm not, I, I like my, I like it the way it is, but he is so accommodating so that if the schedule changes or the kids need me or, you know, someone's home and upset and I have to cancel on him last minute and I apologize to him, he will always say to me, do you not apologize? One of the reasons I love you is because you're such a dedicated mother. I love this about you. So it ended up being very different than how it started because he, even though like what you said about somebody not loving your kids they may not be able to love your kids the way you do because they're your kids, but they could love you when you are, as you are with your kids, they could love you as a mother. And I really appreciated that he was able to see me. It wasn't a conflict. It wasn't like, oh, our kids are always going to come first. And like, I don't know if that's the relationship I want. It was the opposite. It was like, wow, she, this is so beautiful. Like I, I love this about her. So that was one way in which it changed. And now you know, sometimes I do invite him along on things or, you know, every once in a while we, we end up all being together and he's really super sweet and nice to the kids and, and they're, you know, nice to him. And, but it's, again, I'm not looking for, I'm not looking for something 
more than that. I'm not looking to blend it. If I was, that would be a whole other set of issues. I'm really enjoying being alone. Like I'm enjoying being independent and living on my own and, and having a relationship. So I guess for myself, I've really redefined relationships. I need him to appreciate my kids. I need him to hear all my stories. Like that's important to me. He doesn't have to spend time with them, but he knows them really well because I talk about them constantly. I show pictures. And so even honestly, I find it so touching. Sometimes if we're out with other friends, he'll say, you know, oh, Laura, tell tell them about the the thing that blah, blah, blah just did or show them the, you know, that amazing artwork that, you know, your daughter drew because he, he oh. feels invested now. So he may not love them as much as I do, but he's invested in them. And that's enough. Well, what I think is so interesting about what you just said is adjusting our expectations and maybe really understanding our own needs for what we want out of a relationship now, like rather than defaulting to, okay, we're going back to square one and we're going to start the process of marriage again and blending and doing like, there's not that isn't the only way to have a relationship and be happy at this stage in life. Maybe getting married again, isn't the best or right thing for you or whomever at this point. But I think that's what, what's so interesting about what you address in your, your dating in the book is figuring out for yourself as a person and a woman and an individual stepping away from trying to adjust to what the rules are. Like, I think that's kind of what you did in the beginning is you were like trying to figure out, okay, what are the dating rules? Like, like the one, I forget which number it is, but the one guy who kind of got possessive over you. I didn't like him number at five. all. I didn't know. Number five like was not very likable. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it was like, you were kind of conceding to, to keep him happy, like sort of trying to mm-hmm. give him in that circumstance. You were like, I guess we can be ex-, like, he asked to be exclusive. And you were like, Oh, we're doing that. Are we supposed to do that? are we supposed to be dating multiple people on apps? Like, (laughs) and he wanted to be exclusive and you sort of said, okay, well, I'll try it. But his reason for being exclusive was really more his own internal insecurity and stuff. Like it wasn't necessarily about his relationship with you and loving you and wanting a future with you. It was about him not wanting to be alone and his own hangups and stuff, but you could almost visually see in you, your boundaries that you started setting as you you really started growing and stepping into yourself, you know, and realizing, I don't like the way this feels. I don't like Mm -hmm. the way he's making me feel. And you really started sitting with it and understanding and honoring, like, I'm not going to do this for someone else. Like this isn't working for me. And I loved that so much because I think, you know, coming out of our long marriages and finding our own selves and independence, it's hard to do that. You know, we're used to, and accustomed and trained to make other people feel good, but that's Mm -hmm. not what, when you start growing, you start realizing that's not what we're supposed to be doing. And people don't even really want that from us anyway. No, but we just do it because it's what we've been taught to do. I mean, I think for, for me, I've always been a rule follower. So like if I was in school or in my marriage or anything, I follow the rules, like anywhere I go, I follow the rules. And so I was looking for these rules. What are the rules? Like, okay, you have to have, get it right. Yeah. yeah, And I'm like a very good girl. Like I I want, I'm very invested in getting it right. I'm a diligent student, you know? So like, what's the rule? The rule is like you date one person at a time. Well, uh, when do you commit? What's the rule on how long you wait until you commit? What, what's the rule on how long you wait until you have sex with somebody? What, like, how are these going? And what I realized as I was going along was that there 
were only the rules that were in my head. So I had, and by the way, I, I had some painful moments of truth of getting to that understanding. And as you, I appreciate what you're saying about the boundaries, because number five was very controlling and it was very much like, this isn't what I want. Why am I doing this? I mean, the sex was great. That was one of the reasons he really, really was. <laughs> Well, um, there's that. Yeah, that's I mean, important. that kept that kept me going. <laughs> he was really like he was so fit. He was a little younger than me and so fit. And just like the sex was like dynamic. So that kept me going a little while, but not long enough. And I had had an experience right before him where I write about this in the book. And this is really painful for me to even talk about where I, I went to a man's home. I really didn't want to, I I felt that he was like, we were supposed to meet in public and I ended up in his house and I slept with him, even though I didn't want to, because I felt that that was the rule. These are the rules of engagement. You converse with him online. You made the date, you entered his home. What did you think was going to happen? This is expected of you. You don't want to be perceived. I was much less worried about getting hurt physically than about being perceived as not knowing the rules as being a woman who didn't know the rules. So I had sex with him, but that was the the last time you had sex with him right before you left when he was like, how about one more? And you were like, okay, fine. I was like, Oh no, it was really devastating. I think many women have had that feeling like Mm -hmm. where we just give in, you know, and I think I had to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was giving up myself. I was sacrificing myself to do what he wanted, but it was unbelievably important for me to learn that because I never did that again. And I realized like with him and then was setting the boundaries with number five. And then even with number six saying, listen, I'm not going to be monogamous. I, I want to date you. I like you, but like, I really am still exploring the world and I'm not ready to settle down even though I like you and, and having him say, okay, well, just, can you just tell me when you do? Sure. And always use a condom. Okay, sure. I can do that. So, you know, I, I think like with each person, I gained, uh, some really important information and I, and I learned about what was important to me. And what was important to me was I make my own rules now. So I'm following my own rules and my rules are, they're going to keep shifting. I mean, sometimes people say to me, do you want to, are you going to get remarried? Like you've been with this guy for three years, you guys talking about marriage or cohabitation. And I'm, I say, no, I have no interest. They say that'll change. And I'm like, it'll only change if I want it to change. There's no rule here for that. Yeah. You know, and that, that to me is that, I think that's one of the most important takeaways from, from dating so many people and having the experience is just saying, I'm, I'm 51 years old now. I, I I'm not going to get in trouble with my mom anymore. You know, I, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not deserving my children. I'm not doing a disservice. I'm not married anymore. I mean, I, I can do whatever I want. So that's very empowering. It's empowering. And I think the world opens up to receive you so much more than you think it will, because all of that conceding and agreeing and being kind of inauthentic with uh, allowing it's not what people want. People don't respect you. They don't value you all of a sudden when you start saying, this is what I want, this isn't okay. You know, this is, I'm not ready for this. All of a sudden you kind of blossom, you know, and all of a sudden you're like a super attractor. You're a magnet to Mm -hmm. all the things that you want. And you naturally shed and let go of the things that don't work for you. And I think it's, it's very hard being a people pleaser to trust that that will work out though. But once you start doing it, like you've done, the possibilities are limitless of what you can do and how good you can feel and how free you can feel and what you can create and allow in your life. You stop compromising, giving up, conceding, allowing, and you start creating and attracting and just really like stepping into your best life, I guess. Right. Well, I think, yes. And stepping into your best self, I think is, you know, that's, that's the, the important thing to understand is like, you just have to become yourself and you, if yourself was uh, defined by your roles at home 
and now you're really determined to see who you are outside of those roles and to redefine yourself, you have to become your best self. And to me, being my best self means being really authentic and being really honest with people that what things look like on a daily basis, that that's not always easy. It's not always fun. The sex isn't always great. You know, it's not all roses and sunshine. I'm not making up anything. Like everything I wrote about, it happened. It, if it was good, if it was bad, if it was hideous, it happened. And I think it's very important that we represent ourselves as we truly are and not as like the image that we feel we need to portray to other people. And that to me is being my best self is just being myself and, and being kind and being compassionate and being a good mom and being a good friend. And, and that's for people to take or leave. So I guess I, I, I still like to please people. I do. I like people to like me. That's still important to me, but I really don't, I don't care so much anymore. It's weird. It's like, if you don't like me or you don't believe me or like, okay, I'm not for you. That's fine. You just move on. Like, maybe but then you know either. the people that like you really like yes. you, the yes. authentic you. And I don't think you have a whole lot to worry about in that. Not no, I mean, very, very likable. (laughs) I've connected with so many people, you know, through doing this book and being on podcasts. And I, and I have to say, like, I feel like I just made all these friends because I feel so seen and I feel that I'm seeing people and I feel very, I feel a level of gratitude that I just don't think I felt in my life before. I think I took a lot of things for granted and I don't anymore. And so I think, you know, I I keep thinking about the name of your podcast, See the Upside. And, you know, we can't always see the upside. Sometimes we have to feel crappy. Sometimes we have to just embrace that, like, we want to go home and get into bed and cry for 24 hours. And like, that's okay. It doesn't mean you're wallowing. It doesn't mean you're a victim. It just means you're human. But when when you have the mindset that you're in general determined to see the upside, you're going to find it and you're going to find the ways in which life continues to present the upside. So for me, that's in like this gratitude I feel is so genuine, you know, that, that people are talking to me, that people are open with me, that, that I have friends that are so dedicated to me that number six is so good to me, you know, like I feel all of these things. And I, I think I took, I just, I think I just kind of coasted through my life before and I was grateful. I was grateful for my beautiful children and their health and my friends and my parents, but it was on a different level. It was like, this is, this is really deep what I feel like. I feel, I don't feel beholden. I just feel like I, I'm so blessed to have the love and the support of the people around me. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I feel like I was kind of living half awake until I went through my divorce. And I, I do think what you're saying, seeing, and I just wrote about this today. You'll see it in the newsletter that just went out talking about allowing ourselves to feel all of the authentic feelings that we're, we're not designed to be happy all the time. And if you were, it wouldn't feel so good to be happy. Mm -hmm. It would just be like, okay, you know, but the painful things that we experience, like, let's take, for example, was it number five that you said? the experience where you went on the date and slept with him at his apartment, that Mm -hmm. guy, that was a horrible experience and super painful. But think about the enlightenment and lesson that came out of that, that you will never, ever, ever forget. And I think that's what real pain and hard feelings teach us is what's important to us, where we need to grow, pointing us in the direction of how we need to change and showing us where huge appreciation is. Like I thought about this. I just had oral surgery on, when was it? Tuesday. And I hate doing it. It's probably, (laughs) I've had it a couple of times and it's probably my most dreaded thing. In fact, I've said, I'd rather have childbirth (laughs) <laughs> no uh, anesthesia. Wow. Then do oral surgery because it's <laughs> okay, really that's just serious. And I went in and I was kind of nervous, but this is the first time I've done it since I've been divorced. And it was such an interesting mix of emotions. And I think 
you know, that's, that's what the complexity of our emotions where I was nervous. And then I got this weird wave of grief for my divorce because I was like, gosh, I wish I wasn't doing this hard thing all by myself. Mm -hmm. I wish I had someone in the lobby that was waiting to drive me Mm -hmm. home and here with me to comfort me when I go home and bring me my ice packs. And as I'm sitting in the chair and I just, I, this nurse or the assistant, her name was Amy. She was amazing. And my doctor, Dr. Price is incredible too. He's brilliant. And I just, rather than like the old me would have kind of gotten immersed in the misery of the situation Mm -hmm. and been like, I hate this. I don't want to be here. Why me? Why do I always have all this bad, you know, these bad dental things, but instead, and it just was totally organic. I felt this huge wave of gratitude Mm -hmm. that I had Amy there telling me what a beautiful job I was doing. Oh my gosh, such good news. It's not up in your sinuses. This is going as great as it can. You're a champion. You're like a marathon runner for dental (laughs) surgery. And I was like, oh my gosh, like just so grateful in the middle of something really, really hard. And I think that's where we get to in life when we, when we learn how to how to really feel gratitude and to allow all the difficult emotions to come that you, you do feel that you do feel that everything's going to be okay, that we have appreciation for everything happening just as it did and as it should and allowing all the lessons and growth to come, even when they hurt and when they're really hard. I I love that story. I appreciate it so much because I think it's, if it's a, it, as you point out, it's about finding the gratitude in everyday life in ways that you may not have before that you recognize that kindness is special. And that when people are kind to you, like if the nurse was extra kind to you, like she didn't have to be. So the fact that she was, it meant something to you and you took, and that's what you took away. You didn't take away from the day like, oh, that was awful. And thank God I don't have to do that again for a while. But like, oh, that nurse was so kind to me. And I feel that way in many of my interactions now when people go out of their way for me at a cash register, you know, or, or helping yeah. me with something in a grocery store. Uh, sometimes I'll, you know, and I'll stop and just say, that was so nice of you. Like it was, most people don't go out of their way for other people like that. That was so kind of you. And I love that. I love giving people compliments. I love apologizing if yeah. I've done something wrong because I feel Ooh, like you don't know. Yes. Yeah, that's a big one too. But the level that you feel like all those things that I maybe took for granted before, like, okay, she's a good nurse. That's her job. That's nice. Right. You know, or like, I do. I, well, yeah, I love them in that office. They're great. But the, I feel it's very different now. It's like, it, it's a deal breaker now. Now it's like, oh God, I felt so taken care of. And that person didn't have to do that for me. And, um, and I want to do that for other people. You know, like I always want to give the compliment. I I always want to go out of my way to help a little bit extra because I know what a difference it can make in, in other people's lives. And, uh, and I was always, I think a good friend, you know, I have a lot of good friends, so I know I must've been Mm -hmm. a good friend, you know, even during the years of my marriage, but still I see things a little differently now. Like for me right now, like I'm in between, I'm waiting for an apartment that's being renovated. So I'm living up at my mom's apartment, which is like a whole different- I love this. And your mom is in the book. I love- Yes, a lot. She's in the book a lot. Our moms really do play a huge role in our divorce. Yes. I mean, huge. And my mom is quite a character and very loyal. (laughs) But what's, what's amazing to me is the number of friends who have given me keys to their apartments- so that I have places to go during the day because I'm go- shuttling downtown, you know, to bring my daughter to school and I don't want to go all the way back uptown in between. The number of people that have reached out to me close and some even like not as close to say, hey, my apartment's empty during the day. I'm going to give you a key and make yourself at home. Like, yeah. I can weep just thinking about it. I, I have like 10 different people who have told their doorman just to let me up and, you know, have told me to make myself comfortable in their homes. And I don't take that for granted. That's, that is such kindness that um, I hope I can do the same for, for people when I someday have my own home again. Well, and you do in other ways. And it's like, you're saying it's little things. 
I had this situation happen one time that was probably about two years ago. I was meeting a friend for coffee and we would meet at this coffee shop and he came from a different location. So I usually got there before him. And when I got there, I, uh, there were some military guys there, I think from like the local army base and they were behind me. So I paid for their coffees and, you know, I love to do that. That kind of stuff is so fun. I always thank military for their service. I just think that's so important and always just like makes my heart want to burst. But so I bought their coffee and I sat down and then my friend arrived and he didn't see me yet. I was sitting in like the side of the cafe And there was a guy that I think was homeless, like, you know, definitely kind of down and out that was behind him. And this was on the same day. He bought him a coffee, bought him his coffee and his muffin or whatever. And he bought his own coffee and sat down and we were talking and I didn't say anything. And I just was kind of like, oh my gosh, like that is such a cool just kind of synergy. And then the, the army guys walked by and said, Hey, thanks so much for, for the coffee. We appreciate it. And he looked at me and he was like, did you buy them coffee? And I said, yeah, I did. And it was just like this moment where it was just so cool that we happened to do this on the same day. Yeah. And you, you know, your people, Right. Yeah, like he, he wasn't <laughs> well, but he wasn't doing it because I was watching him. Right. I wasn't doing it because he would ever find out. Like right. we just did it, you know, because yeah. we That's wanted really to. Sweet. That's a nice story. Yeah. I think for, you know, I think that in order to be able to get to a point of feeling all this gratitude and feeling good about it, I think it's just important for people to remember who might be at earlier stages of exiting yes. a marriage. You have to have patience. Right. Like I I just want to say that because it's, we have both, I think, come a very long way, you you know, in our, I think it's been about the same amount of time for us, Mm -hmm. uh, about three, three and a half years. Yeah. And it's, it still goes on. It's not over. I'm not over it. I'm not over my marriage ending. Um, so really upset about it. Uh, even though I'm really thrilled not to be married anymore, or or I'm almost not married anymore, but even though I'm thrilled, I'm also still really sad about it. It comes and goes, but you have to be so patient because you can't rush time. And it's only, it's really time that is going to heal and reveal it's time and also the willingness to really deep dive into yourself and own who you are in the ways that you're great and in the ways that you could use some improvement. You know, I think you have to be willing to like say, I did that maybe in the wrong way and I could do it differently now. Well, one topic I want to address too, we've got just a little bit more time is forgiveness because Mm -hmm. I think that is complicated also requires time to get Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And every divorce sort of has its own dimension of forgiveness. There's all different kinds of things that happen. And there's usually something very, it's a very rare divorce where it's like, oh, we just grew apart. And they're like, you know, there's usually something that happened. Yeah. And in the book, you do address this. There is a moment like in, in the beginning of the book, there's a lot of, there's huge shock on your end when you find out about the infidelity, which is heartbreaking. And I'm sure mm-hmm. a, a lot of people listening and a lot of people I know can totally relate to that's unfortunately not a totally uncommon occurrence. No, not at all. Marriage, surprisingly. Yeah. And I found it so fascinating in the book that your ex-husband doesn't really own his role in the infidelity that he kind of presents it. Like you made me do it kind of thing. Like you put me at Laura, you put me in this position where I had no choice, but to cheat. And I think that's not uncommon either. And I'm not going to, I probably shouldn't generalize and say it's men, but I think a lot of times it is men that have trouble owning their role in the emotional relationship in the marriage that, mm-hmm. you know, that it can be very hard to get to that point. And sometimes we don't get the apology that we yeah. so desperately are seeking in the book. 
you know, not to give away too much, but there is something <laughs> that happens there. Just want to know what, what, what's your take on processing that and working through that when you have that kind of, when it's almost like a, a personally beneficial view of the history, you know, it's yes. like, well, you need, I think an apology is about validation, right? It's like saying, finally, like I did something that hurt you and it wasn't your fault that I did it. And so I think in the beginning of our separation, he was, she was so ashamed that he had caused this kind of pain that he, and I think, I mean, this is, uh, again, it's, it's uh, going along gender lines. I think women are used to feeling shame. I think there's a lot that women are, are, you know, about their bodies and outspokenness that women are accustomed to feeling shame. And I think men are taught, like, you know, there must be no shame. You're going to be so providing or manly or, you know, play your role that there is no room for shame. So he didn't know what to do with his shame. Well, and and Laura, what he did, I think yeah. we're used to taking on their shame for yes. them saying, okay, uh, 100%. I'll take the hit, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you know, I've got this, like, we'll just absorb yes. it. And we do. And this was a time when I wasn't willing to, because I kept thinking, you keep blaming me, but you didn't, you, if you were so unhappy, you could have just left or you could have just told me you didn't have a conversation me. (laughs) Right. Like I didn't cause you to have an affair. And I think he was so angry and so ashamed and just also terrified. He'd also blown up his own life. You know, he didn't just blow up my life. He'd blown up his. So I think, you know, it took many months and it had been a, it had been a period of, I don't even know, like seven or eight months. And it was our first Thanksgiving. We didn't spend it together. My daughter had come home from college from her first semester and she was furious at me because now it was sort of my fault that he wasn't with us. Like he, it, it was like, I was because so angry. You now. wouldn't forgive him because I wouldn't would, forgive yeah. him. And because the table had shifted to this degree that like, he wanted to, he sort of wanted to come home. He wanted to see if we could make this work. And I was like, I can't. So no. So now it's my fault. Now my children are mad at me. And I'm like, I'm so innocent. What did I do? So I was, but I, but you have to take the blows. You know, you have to be like, I could say to my kids, look, I, this is not, I don't feel this is fair, but I'm a safe punching bag. And if that's what I need to be to get my kids through this, then that's what I'm going to be. So I, at that evening of Thanksgiving, I, I sent him a long, angry diatribe, you know, how the ways in which he had wronged me. And the newest way he had wronged me was that I didn't get this homecoming from my daughter that I had been hoping and expecting because now she, my most precious possession, was mad at me. And he wrote me back and he said, I'm really sorry. I know that you were excited for her to come home and to spend time with her and that this is not what you envisioned. I have hurt you in ways that I I cannot believe I have done. And I will always be sorry for what I did to you. And I wept. I never thought I'd hear those words. I never thought he would validate that there had been hurt and, and sadness and devastation that he caused by having an affair. And I was willing to look inside and say, oh, maybe I should have been more giving in this way. Maybe I should have been more loving. I'm, I was absolutely willing to go back over time and acknowledge the ways in which I had fallen short in our partnership. But hearing him validate that that action of his, that betrayal had caused me such pain, it really meant a lot to me. And it gave me a sense of peace. And it made me just less angry because it was like, I can stop begging for an apology. You've given it to me. I also want to say, I know that not everybody gets it. So not everybody gets the apology and they still have to keep going and learn how to let go of the anger. And I think part of that comes from just saying, I know I'm not going to get the apology. And the only person I'm hurting by being angry now is myself. So I'm going to forgive, not because they're, they deserve it necessarily, but because I deserve to forgive. Well, and I think part of it too, is the understanding of why they can't apologize. They usually know their accountability, I think, deep down in their heart, but it's too painful, I think, as you're saying. And and a lot of men, I think, have a really, really hard time tapping into that vulnerability. It's too 
vulnerable. It's too hard. It hurts too much. So often the wall that goes up is deflecting blame, anger, frustration that gets thrown right back at you. And I think we, the only way to shield ourselves from that is to really see it for what it is and not notice just the anger and the blame that comes our way, but just having that calm knowing and not needing to reconcile it, not needing that validation from them because we have the validation within ourselves. It may or may not come from them. Uh, Another thing I think that's, that's important to note is that with our kids, that can be such a tricky area too, Mm -hmm. when you have sort of that individual view of what, what actually happened. And, you know, the truth isn't always being conveyed and, you know, it's, it's one side of the story that they might be hearing and sort of letting go of the need to set it straight with your kids, but rather thinking, what do my kids need to know right now? And what will they find out over time on their own? And, you know, sometimes it's like, I want to, I get this feeling where I'm like, I want to allow them to have the relationship that they have, and they only need to know what they need to know, whatever else they'll find out over time. And all I can do is hold yourself to a certain standard of grace and that that is enough. And in moments, it's not enough. You will get your kids where they're blaming you and saying, you know, you did this and all you can do is tell them the facts that are age appropriate for them to know in an unemotional way. And just know that your behavior and the way you carry yourself will hopefully guide them to, you know, the best truth that they need to know. That part is so hard, you know, but that's, I think, where you have to just be really resolved from day one that your children are not going to be weapons. And, you know, and that is really hard to do because, you know, it's very easy. It would it would take a second. Right. Like in my case, it would have taken me no time at all to villainize my husband and turn the kids against him and use that power that I had. The the, the very day, I believe, that we separated, a friend of mine whose parents had had a difficult divorce said to me, please remember this saying, always love your kids more than you hate your ex. And I, um, yeah, I, I, there's never been a time I haven't carried that with me because I don't want my kids to be collateral damage. And I want them to have two parents. I want them to have a relationship with their dad. I want them to forgive their dad for hurting me and hurting them by having an affair Uh, to the degree where we even finally told, you know, we, we always kept it from the youngest, you know, she was like six years old at the time. And we recently had a conversation where we were like, she needs to know because everybody else knows I don't want secrets. I grew up in a house of secrets. I'm not keeping secrets. She needs to know the truth. Well, you don't want her to hear from someone at school or something. No. And I I got nervous about that just because of my book. And so he had a really frank conversation with her where he said he, he, you know, he owned what he did. And she really, it was really kind of amazing because she was like, uh, okay. And that was the end of it, you know? And it was like, not really, I mean- it, it just is part of the story. And so I, I'm still with my kids. Sometimes, you know, I feel really angry at my ex for certain reasons, but I, I really am careful. Like they are, I want to protect them always and they're becoming adults. And so they'll have to fight for themselves and fend for, you know, re- develop their relationships on their own. So my protection lessons, right? For the 21 year old, for the 18 year old, they have, they see what they see. They know what they know. They, their dad loves them and it's complicated, but I, especially in the beginning, you know, as you said before, preserve your dignity, make sure that you can live with yourself. I have seen families where, you know, years later, uh, the kids are still not speaking to the father because there was infidelity and there's always more to the story, you know, and it doesn't, serve any child to be severed from one of their parents. 
it's just that is not loving your children. That's just revenge. Yeah. Well, and there's such, as we were talking about, there's such lessons and growth and opportunity to learn from how we behave when hard things happen. I yeah. mean, if they're watching that life yes. is complicated. Yes. Bad things happen to good people all the time. It's what you do when they happen. Yes. That yeah. defines who you are and shows your kids what you want for them. And we have choices. We can get bogged down in anger and resentment and frustration. It's okay to feel those things, but it's what do you do with them? You know, how yeah. do you how do you react? Yeah, that's well, a tough one, but I could talk to you for hours <laughs> and hours. Same. And we probably Same. didn't even ask one single question off of the list of questions that I had. <laughs> and you for had you. such good questions. You did have excellent questions. Oh, uh, well, I would love to start a book club for your book. Maybe I'll do that. That's oh, how idea. fun. Yeah. I would love to do that. I feel like there's so there's so many topics that we could cover. So I'm game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm going to contact you about that. I love that idea. Super. Yeah. Let's really share fun. I love with that. everybody how they can find you. First of all, your book is available. As I mentioned, I listen to it on audible. Yep. I highly, highly recommend that anybody who listens to it, you'll love it. Please review it. I know that you're just going to love Laura as much as I did. And you'll feel like, you know, her very intimately (laughs) (laughs) in the best way possible. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for qualifying that. um, Yes. And then the actual book is coming out as well too, right? Yeah. So the book is available now um, in hardcover on Amazon, published in England originally. So the ebook is, is been, is available, uh, the audio, and now it is available. I I normally, I love for people to support their local bookstores. In this case, I believe that the way the hardcover was being published, it was just like released through the major distributors like Amazon. It will come out in paperback in May, and then it will be available more widely in bookstores and people can support it there, uh, you know, in, in their local bookstores. But for now it's on Amazon. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm on Instagram, Laura Friedman Williams. I'm on Twitter. I do a lot of writing on Medium, so I can also be found there. And I love to hear from people. I I love to hear people's stories and to know the ways in which, you know, we find connection to each other. So anyone who wants to reach out to me, I, I will answer. I promise. Oh, I love that. Well, we'll have all the links in the show notes. So everybody can follow you and stay in touch with you. And yeah, we're going to start a, a book club session on this. I love I'm that. I'm excited. There's so awesome. many different topics. I mean, we didn't, it didn't even touch on waxing and all the <laughs> other things that happen that are just so hilarious, but yes. real, like real, real. things. Yeah. These are real with. things you need to think about if you're reentering, you know, single lingerie, there's yes. a, there are very practical elements here. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We don't want to come back like it's the eighties because that, <laughs> guys, I'm telling you, it's not in fashion anymore. <laughs> no, it's although you'd be surprised. It's apparently uh, hair, hair is making a comeback. So you'd be shocked, but it's true. Good to not know. in my not in my household is not making a comeback but out <laughs> in the world. <laughs> oh, I was like, oh gosh, okay. She's shifting. No, I'm I'm committed. I'm committed to being bare. But as you said, that's a t- that's for another time. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Laura. It was so much fun. Love our thank conversation. You, Nina. Me too. For hours. So yes. Good. So hopefully we'll have hours more to go someday. Yes. Thanks for joining today's episode of See the Upside podcast. For more details about today's guest and show notes and links, visit our website at seetheupside.com. You can find us on Instagram at see.theupside and Facebook at seetheupside. If you love today's show, please spread the light by giving us a rating or sharing it with a friend. We appreciate you so much and love sharing the positivity with anyone who could be inspired by it. We're all on a beautiful journey and it's so much more fun doing it together and sharing our stories with each other along the way. Can't wait till next time.